0: So my name is Spencer Stewart. I'm the Vice President of Strategic Partnerships at Western Governors University. Western Governors University is in its 26th year. This is a exclusively online nonprofit university, one of the largest in the US. Today we have over 140,000 currently enrolled students and over 320,000 alumni. 26 years ago, we were started by a handful of U.S. governors figuring out how to connect talent with opportunity and how we do that at scale. I have the distinct pleasure of being able to work with employers and my team working with employers on how they upskill and reskill their talent uh, going forward. We work with a number of Fortune 500 companies as they look to improve their talent development strategy. Our guest today is Federico de Morin, who is the Chief People Officer at Group M. Federico, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Let me just start by asking a very, very simple question. Group M is part of the WPP family. Uh, Jess and I know a little bit about WPP, one of the world's largest, if not the world's largest uh, advertising company. You are the chief people officer, and I believe your mantra is at Group M, we make advertising work better for people. Federico, can you... uh, Introduce yourself and a little bit about your work at Group M.
1: Sure, thank you very much, and I appreciate the time uh, to uh, to do this. It's always important to talk about this. Um, so I've been with uh, Group M for over ten months, actually, uh, new in the industry, which it to me is always has always been a, a red thread in my career, trying to change industries. Um, Group M. Basically connects uh, with WPP in this advertising industry as the media advertising uh, compared to the creative part of of, uh, of uh, the the advertising world, which are the other companies in in WPP realm. Um, I've been working in the people function for over twenty four years already, so um, working a lot in in some of the aspects that the people function strive for, like leadership development. Um, and one thing to just to clarify, I'm, I'm one of uh, the Group M Chief People Officers, not the global Group M, um, just, just to be sure.
0: And for Federico, it sounds like your focus is on
1: Latin America. Is that right? Correct. It's about, it's about 2,300 people. We are present in, in about 13 countries with countries such as Mexico, Brazil, uh, Colombia, Argentina, the the main bigger market, um, and we we operate in this uh, digital advertising world. You know, bringing global accounts, regional accounts, and and local accounts, but partnering with the biggest companies in the world, which I think is one of the main uh, points of attraction of working for Group M. You get to work with the Netflix, the Google, the Metas, and the Coca Colas of this world. So 24
0: years in the people development, people strategy space. Federico, how did, you, how did you find yourself in this space? Was this intentional? Was this accidental? Tell us a little bit about your journey to where you are today.
1: It's an interesting question because uh, I've heard similar stories from different people that work uh, or develop in the HR function back then. Um, I was studying business administration. I was working in marketing in Budweiser. Um, and my goal was really to work with different cultures and, and, and travel through the world and experience different ways of doing things. And that's how my first experience in, in HR came up with uh, Reuters, a news agency, a fantastic company, a true global mindset. Uh, this was back in 1998. Um, and it gave me the opportunity to to understand the world of of H R and and people, which at to that moment I thought this is payroll and personnel files and employee relations and and that, obviously that that was not the reason why I got there. And immediately I found out this this is something I can strive for because it's about helping people, it's about coaching people, it's about making things better for the business as well as for the people that work in the business and. I think as you, as you mature, I started in, in a local roles, then I moved into regional roles, into different regions, into global roles. Now I'm back into a regional role and it, it just gives you per- perspective. And uh, my approach to the function has changed a lot. I can tell you that as, as you mature um, and, and how much you want to be, what success means for you as a professional. Fascinating,
0: fascinating. Well, I would think for you, like many of us, the worldwide pandemic, COVID was both a disruptor as well as an accelerator for Mm -hmm. change. And so as you think about the world of people development, people strategy, pre-pandemic and then post-pandemic, what has been the biggest change for you because of COVID? How are things different within the people strategy space
1: yeah i think you know many companies had this poster wall saying you know people first people are important uh we are all about people and uh in many many cases it was true um but i think the pandemic you know made many companies realize that if we don't do something about this now we may not exist after this pandemic um So many companies realized that this cannot be just a poster. Um, People also had time to reflect on what it means to work for a company that truly cares about people. Um, Many people also reflected on their personal journeys, their purpose, what they wanted from, from life and from work. And the outcome of those inner conversations or even family conversations was I don't want to spend time in a place that I don't enjoy. I don't want to spend time working for someone that I, it doesn't really care about me or he doesn't really care about the people they serve and what they bring to the world. And and to me, this is a fantastic change uh, that it's, it's unfortunate that it came up through a horrible uh, pandemic. But uh, as a result, I think it has brought a, a fantastic you know, new outlook uh, and how companies need to share this outlook with their people.
0: I think that's one of the things that we learned, perhaps I learned during the pandemic, is that life is really precious. Time is really precious. And there's opportunity in life to dedicate time and effort in a variety of ways. And individuals, I think, have choice. And they can either work for company A or they can work for company B, they can work for company C. One of the things that we've been hearing and seeing in our work is this notion of talent shortage and that between supply and demand, especially individuals who have college degrees, there are more job openings than there are people to fill them. At least that's the way it is domestically here in the U.S. Can you speak a little bit about what you're seeing with this notion of talent shortage and how you and your team members at group M are uh, trying to mitigate
1: that sure sure and it's another interesting topic we were discussing internally uh, and strategically because you know this this war for talent and talent shortage it it's been around for a while and last week we were going through an exercise and in one of of the consultants we were working with mentioned something that really resonated with me. He said, there isn't really a talent shortage. It's just that sometimes you put so many filters in it that then there's no one left after that. And yes, it will be short. It's going to be a very short list. If you start thinking about, oh, I want someone that works in this specific location that works from Monday to Friday full time and it's available on the weekends. I need someone that knows all this, that has started all that. And we frame talent so tightly that it's, it's very hard to find someone that ticks all the boxes. So um, how do we unravel that and start saying, okay, what what does it mean, the word talent? Uh, because we we've been tying up that word to job descriptions and job requirements and location requirements and time requirements that suddenly becomes extremely specific. Um, the pandemic helped a lot to kind of s- start breaking that. Same, you know, And the biggest example was in location, of course. People can be in different places and we can still be good. And actually, you can get someone great uh, and better than someone that was sitting in, in, a, in, a, in a desk in a specific location. But the same you can do about industry requirements. The same you can do about um specific knowledge that you can actually uh, you know uh, learn in a job uh, you don't have to put everything there the more you put there the harder it gets and and yes you get shortage
0: so federico it sounds like you and your team are evaluating education and experience criteria, criteria where perhaps before the pandemic it was i need individuals that can do A, B, C, and D Um, and one of those filters could be education requirements in that they need to have a undergraduate degree or a graduate degree. Is that something that you are reevaluating
1: at Group M? I mean, not specifically, but we are thinking of the why, right, why why do you need certain education? For example, if we're talking about a, a degree, in marketing. So what's the value? What do you expect to get out of that degree? Uh, and what, why does it help to a specific role? Because we tend to put that everywhere, right? Because you have to, right? It's, you have to. Uh, and I understand, you know, in many cases, you, you wanna say you have to, but that's also because you have availability of that. Um, I think education helps you broaden your perspective. It helps you understand the, uh, different things. It helps you understand what other, people's ha- other people have done in the past, that what other other people's mistakes and how they've learned success cases, failures. That's what education brings on your degree. MBA is a different story. You, you get to learn from different areas, not just your own. You, you get to learn more, more about leadership. Um, so it broadens your your perspective and your view. So if you need a job or you're planning a career and you want to have, for example, career development in leadership, you need to define where do I start and what kind of people do I put there? And if that career may allow, for example, for education to happen as they grow in your company and not as a prerequisite to get in. So I think in in, in, a, in a nutshell, it's asking yourself why. It's not that we're saying we don't need to. It's just that why do we need it and what's the value it brings? And, and not just education. It's the same for experience.
0: Well, Jess, I'm sure you have a number of questions based on Federico's overview. I'm gonna turn it over to you, Jess, for any questions on your end.
2: Yeah, you know, um I I consider myself like a lifelong learner. I'm a real audiobook addict, and you know, I've gone back and taken executive education at fancy schools and stuff like this. And Um, I, uh, I think about this concept a lot of like, how much I've consumed versus how much of that translated into skill. And I'm interested in your thought of like, specifically around this idea of like, having people do enough meaningful repetitions outside the comfort zone, that it changes from like, you know, like, I didn't leave the I didn't leave the training meeting for both days of the seminar, or I didn't leave the zoom call for the full hour of the training versus I actually have the capacity to now do something different and maybe how you think about crossing that bridge
1: no yeah, it's it's funny because i i've i've taught in several mba programs as a teacher and and it's one of the things i tell all of them at the beginning I, i've been in your seat many times and it's great to be in both sides of this equation all the time but i i just want you to be selfish in a good way and the selfish means as i'm talking understand that what I say is not the absolute truth. Number one, you can question, you can have a different opinion. And two, contrast everything I'm saying with the things you have to do. Because if you don't do that, this is a great time. We're going to have fun. You're going to learn. You may feel inspired, but then nothing's going to happen tomorrow. When your boss starts demanding everything you were doing before, just do it better. And you don't know how to connect. I think... Um, You know, learning models usually have one piece in the middle that is the one that most companies forget about, which is how do you transfer knowledge, right? The the 10% is supposed to be technical knowledge. So you go to a training course, 20% is transfer and 70% is experience. The way it usually happens is you go to the course, then you go back to work and (laughs) just do the same thing and do it better. Uh, The transferring part is where you need a very good leader that has the commitment to dedicate time with you to say, okay, now tell me how are you going to transfer what you've just learned into your job? What's the value? What's the return of investment, if you will? Um, Because that transfer usually doesn't happen. Uh, Managers kind of reward uh, their people with training courses and MBA programs, but then the value sits in a line in, in a, in a resume right it doesn't it doesn't come back directly into the company
2: yeah it's, it's such a good point of like i think about how many conferences i've gone to and then not built any time into like uh having quiet time to think about what i'm going to do now that i was there um uh, it, it actually i mean i think so often in learning development we we talk so often about more frontline people or people earlier in their careers but I'd love to know your thoughts on people later in their career. Like, I feel like one of the best things I ever did, I, I was the CEO of a private equity fund and I signed up and went and spent a week at Harvard and uh, like paid, a, you know, what I thought was a lot of money. Right. <laughs> and it was a drastic change on how we run our entire fund coming out of it. And and there were some some humbling parts that came out from some data they had. And we came back with like, I came back with like a fundamental shift on how we ran our organization and and yet i don't hear a lot of people talking about um, the senior executives like it happens some places but but like as a percentage i hear it Mm -hmm. talked about quite a bit less what kind of guidance would you have for other whether it's you know whether it's learning professionals or hr professionals or or just leaders in general about developing you know developing the people higher up in the org chart not just lower sure
1: and i think learning is a way of living. Uh, it's not a goal, right? It's not a line that you cross and, and you say, fantastic, I'm done. Uh, I've got to this position, which was the highest I was aspiring to. And now I don't have to learn anymore. I can just teach other people to do it. And, and I think we need to understand that as human beings, we are programmed that way. Uh, after a certain age, you're programmed to learn. And so up to that age, and after that, you're programmed to teach, right? And unfortunately, that's a that's a, it's very early in our lives because we didn't live to, you know, you didn't used to live this long. Um, so when you're in the, your thirties and your forties, your brain switched, and then you said, hey, "I'm not so keen on learning. I'm more about talking and teaching." Um, and I remember one analogy that one manager said to me is. Uh, I and mean, he asked us, "What's the car that spend more more time in the shop?" And when everyone was ask, answering, you know, the, the used car, the old car, and he says, "No, it's the F1." Uh, so choose which leader you want to be. And, and to me, that was like, whoop, That was a shock. And said, "Yeah, exactly. That's the kind of leader you need to be." So I think you need to you need to ref- reflect as a leader in how you want to continue teaching people, and what are you going to teach in if you have stopped learning uh, at one point in your career, and how how long was that?
2: Okay, I love that analogy. I'm totally going to plagiarize you from here on out. I love that F1 <laughs> analogy.
1: You know, I'm glad because it, it had an impact on me, so I'm I'm happy to share it to the world. But but it's reflected. Like I get to have a bunch of like you know
2: billion dollar company CEOs on here, uh, special ops guys, pro athletes, and They spend a lot of time in the shop, as you say it. Um, Spencer, what kind of ideas is this making you think about? Well, Jess, for me,
0: the big question is quantification, quantification, quantification. And Federico, I think you are in the driver's seat to best understand how does learning impact performance? And how do we measure that how do we demonstrate roi um any thoughts on what you are doing at group m or you know other uh companies uh within your uh industry what they are doing how they are framing up learning and performance demonstrating that that investment
1: sure i think Obviously, data is fundamental. That's number one. Number two is patterns, and um, and I think if you use those those two to link your customers with your people. So, what's going on with your customers? Are you getting new customers? Are you retaining customers? Um, are is are your is your competition outperforming you in certain areas? Uh, from a business standpoint, and what is 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 that correlated to what's happening with your people? One thing that we're working on right now is exactly that. Um, we are very successful in pitching. We're very successful in in um, retaining. Why, right? So we 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 do that with our customers. So how is that translating into our people practices? Because if you get if you get people that are well trained, that are motivated, they 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 change, they have a purpose um, you give them the tools they need to work, and you show them options and opportunities you don't you don't force people into specific paths because of, obviously that's something that people are, are are really looking forward to have today It's options um, Is that reflecting in our customers so the feedback from our customers is correlated to the feedback of our employees and how they feel as you improve in one area which you can measure. Is your customer retention. Uh, how do you gain new business? Employer retention, their feedback, and how do you uh, employ turnover and what kind of turnover that is? Because you can just trace turnover as a as a, just like everyone does it. But if you have the right data, you can say which people are the ones that are leaving, and where do they fit in my in my talent pipeline? Uh, am I losing the people that are in their first? Two years, the the, the more senior people, am I losing the people that I've mapped into high potential, high performers, or just the, the people in the middle? But there's a lot of people in the middle that gets things done. So how is that affecting my customers? So the more you analyze and track this data and you find correlations, this is where you can prove this is how what I'm doing on the people side is impacting those other KPIs. That's
0: fascinating. So I have to ask, Federico, a quarter century helping companies develop their people talent, you've seen a lot. What does the next 25 years in talent development look like? What are you most excited about? And maybe what are you most
1: uh, fearful about? Or, Or what are the things that keep you up at night? Oof, um fortunately, nothing can keep me up at night. <laughs> That's one thing. Uh, but honestly, uh, I think there are many innovations happening and how fast those innovations occur is one of the, the concerns that I have. Uh, how do you keep your people close to those innovations so you're not lagging behind and and then you, what you get is a lot of people that tend to resist innovation and change versus people that can quickly adopt it. So uh, in, in artificial intelligence is a, a huge innovation. Um, to me, it's more of a question mark, talking about these 25 years. So besides replacing some very transactional jobs, what other applications we're going to get out of this, right? We're thinking now about self-learning um, uh, artificial intelligence. So, someone—it's you're talking about a, a creation that can learn and can apply this learning faster than a human being. So, what are we going to do in our people, and how do we help them keep up with this? And how how are we transforming the way we work so people get more get closer to technology than uh, than they are today? Today, they see technology as a tool, should we start seeing technology as a colleague, uh, it's not the same thing because it will be a colleague soon. You will be able to have real conversations with, inter- with uh, artificial intelligence. So if you're thinking in those terms, you're not thinking about uh, artificial intelligence will replace me. You're thinking about there's a larger job market. How do I compete? Uh, it's just another colleague. It's just another person. They have their skills, but I have mine. Uh, you know, they, they will have skills and it will get better. But as human beings, we always have an edge on how we deal with people, how we deal with emotions, how we connect dots that are not so rational and obvious. Um, and so to me, that's, that's the key. Uh, if you want to strive for the next 25 years, How do I see technology as someone that I can lean on and I can learn from to to be better?
0: It sounds like you are suggesting that with the advent of generative AI, chat GPT, other platforms that that we as individuals really need to lean into what makes us human um, in that it's empathy. It is compassion. Uh, It may be figuring out how to better, you know, supplement technology to do the things that are repeatable and can be automated, whether that is crafting a job description or better workflow in the kind of employee advancement process. These are the technologies that will allow us to focus more on the things that technology can't. Empathy, compassion, um, uh, being better mentors, better coaches. Um, Am I hearing that the right way?
1: Absolutely. And and you touched on a a fundamental piece, especially when it comes to leadership. You know, people get to senior leadership positions by being good at what they were doing before. Uh, And many times this is technical jobs. You come from marketing, sales, human resources, finance, whatever it is, and you deal with transactional activities, you deal with issues. And I remember um, a lot of conversations with these leaders where they would say, you know what? I don't have time uh, to deal with these people issues, right? And they would say people issues as emotional stuff, get connected to your your employees and your teams and and listen to their personal lives and things like that. Um and, and you know, this is what will make you stand in the future. So I would be very careful if you're leaning on technical things because that is the thing that will be more replaceable in the future. So as a leader of people, you, you have to kind of let go to those things that ma- made you successful and start embracing things that are out of your comfort zone.
0: It's so interesting you bring this up. I attended... A conference last week big conference future of higher ed where is education technology going and there was this running kind of joke behind the scenes where we played chat gpt bingo and that is how many sessions would be mentioning chat gpt bill gates <laughs> actually was a panelist it was a fireside chat with bill gates and Bill certainly, Bill, like I know Bill, but uh, Bill (laughs) Gates, Bill Gates certainly has had such an outsized impact in philanthropy and K-12 education and higher education. And he told the story where uh, the uh, uh, open AI executives, those behind ChatGPT, approached him. and, And this was, I think, some time ago. And. Bill admitted that he was somewhat skeptical about this technology. And he said, well, hey, come bother me. Come bother me when this tool can actually pass, I think he said, an AP biology exam. And he kind of sent them on their way and he didn't think anything of it. And I think they came back very, very soon. I don't know if it was six months, eight months, certainly was within a year. And they said, well, it has actually it's actually passed it. Um, And now we're getting to the point where I think the latest iteration of chat GPT, I think it's version four, uh, has actually passed the American bar exam uh, for attorneys. And I think we'll see this rapid evolution of these generative AI tools doing the things that that most of us have been doing, you know, 60% of our time, 70% of our time. And I think it will force us to do exactly what you're speaking to. And that is uh, acknowledging that we, we are people and, and it's figuring out where our competitive advantage is, what we can do better, what we can fundamentally do better uh, than any of these emergent technologies. And is, is this something that uh your uh executive team at group m or wpp is is starting to talk about think about and and where do you see your role uh in in moving that conversation forward so oh, i i think
1: we are still early in terms of uh adopting this kind of technologies um yet we are talking about authenticity and and When you talk about things like uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion, um, I can think uh, of of having an artificial intelligence behind you bringing in a very sensitive, emotional topic to them. And they may have the right answers because they have the right programming, but you will never feel this is someone that truly cares about me. It doesn't really care. He's just reacting. And, And we do like to have that as people. It's not the same as, it's the same thing. They may even, you can program tones, a real voice, a real face, but we will be able, just like we are today, finding ways of discovering that you're not talking to a person. And eventually to you, what it means is, this is fake. Um, but yet as people, we still need to get better at it ourselves before we can say we are better than machines. Oh, not so sure. I, I There are people that are today worse than Today's machines, and so <laughs> I, I think we need to really, as, as 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 big companies that are able to shape industries, and and I feel this is where Group M sits today. They feel their responsibility of shaping what's going on in the industry and and improving some things, um, some ways of of working and thinking. We need to think: How do we bring this human element into our industry, into our business, in the way we deal? So with our customers or so our customers and our people feel this is authentic. It's not, it's not a machine, but it's not also, it's not also a person that only cares about my money and only cares about my hours um, because you can get exactly the same feeling from a person uh, if you don't get that connection. So I think this is where Group M is today. Like, how do we have this employee proposition that is truly authentic and is empathic and is human? Jess, any, he- Thoughts on that?
2: Yeah, I'm super glad that you went to this subject, Spencer. Um, my uh, Spencer knows my business partner Federico Nick, who's very technical, and um, I, I have this benefit because, like, on essentially a daily basis, we commute back and forth to work. My business partner, and every day he tells me about the new automation or the new AI aspect that he's built into an automation. And you know, we're in the creative industry too, make podcasts for all these CEOs, right? And He's continually automating and, you know, automation out to ChatGPT, back to the automation pack to ChatGPT, or there's there's maybe like eight main AIs that that we use now. Uh, and I think of this idea of upskilling the rest of our staff, right? And this idea of like, you know, Steve Jobs said the computer is supposed to be like a, a bicycle for the mind. Well then, like, well, then AI maybe should be like the motorcycle for the mind, right? <laughs> and so this idea of like, you know, specifically in the creative world, like, a power tool is only as good as the operator is at using it. And so, mm-hmm. like, you know, I used to make money for, for, to pay for my snowboard passes by like having hard construction jobs that my friends didn't have. And I made twice as much as them. But like, you take a construction worker and you add a truck, you get a lot more work. You add a construction worker and instead of a, a hammer, you give him a nail gun, you get a lot more accomplished if he knows how to use it right. 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 So, my thought for you is thinking about this idea of like the, the ability for, you know, New technologies and obviously, you know, flavor of the year, maybe a flavor of the decade is AI right now. But conceptually, thinking about taking people who are good at something, and now there's a new power tool available, and upskilling them to be good at it, and to and to come back to you with new ways they could use it. What what kind of you, how do you think about approaching that, especially with thousands
1: of employees? You know, of course, I think. AI still needs to prove itself as a technology. And I think I'm, I'm very much agree with uh, Bill Gates on that assessment because I get approached by, I don't know, dozens of, of a, a new AI developers that are, oh, I have the greatest thing. And I ask, okay, show me your results. Where have you been successful? And it's, oh, no, no, they we're just starting. Like, okay. You talk to your colleagues, have you used this? No. And then it's like, okay, maybe we are facing something that will be disruptive and innovative, but is it ready? Um, I think I think we need to understand that we as people sometimes are struggling to uh, become more like machines rather than staying in our core. Uh, I've read as a book, I don't remember its name, but it was like five months ago, that the Genetics development in people and enhancements of people it is growing and 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 accelerating as much as the technology so we are competing in terms of who's going to be the best right the person or the machine and probably the future and I'm talking about long term is' it's a mix of both so you're going to be an enhanced human being with some sort of technology helping you and it doesn't it, it doesn't you know, keep me up at night, but it's something that I am concerned about that we should not give up our, our humanity uh just to try to beat the machine in in, in in the in the race. Uh especially because with new technologies, new needs and new problems arise. And you always need the mind that can develop the next technology. So we keep learning. Also, uh how do we make sure that technology let us continue being human beings. And this is, I think it world leaders kind of concern and probably the big gates of this world that are behind the, the research and development facilities behind this technology is like technology is great, but it has always pursued efficiency and effectiveness, right? You're faster, better, um, but it's not the right direction today. You know, how do we shift that into making sure it's better for humanity and not just for profit. <laughs> because profit, without humanity, who's going to buy your stuff, right? Who's going to make that profit? So um, I, I think as, as world leaders and, and, and the leaders of, of the big companies that, that are at the vanguard of technology, we need to have some sort of an understanding together of what do we want to achieve as, as a race, as human beings in, the, in this world? Um, because I don't think, I don't think it right now is the things are competing in their own path and, and this is not clear.
2: Interesting. Well, let me, let me ask a similar question in a different way. Let's look back. You know, I I got my first sales job like 27 years ago as a 15 year old. And, um, back in the day, sales jobs were not run off Salesforce or HubSpot or whatever your CRM is. Right. Like mm-hmm. we had lists and the boss checked up on you and you had your sales meeting and stuff was on paper. And you look at like a major shift, like we're now going to implement CRM. And you've got staff who've been excellent at their job for 20 years, who are now going to get left behind if they don't adapt, adapt the new technology. Right. And you think about large companies who are like, wow, now we need to get, now we need to get a large number of people to adapt to this new technology. Without letting their current work, you know, without letting their current work suffer, and and you know, thinking about change management like that specifically with upskilling, Mm -hmm. what kind of principles do you have for people who are saying like, wow, we need to, I need to upskill a whole company, and it can feel overwhelming, especially when you don't want to drop the ball with your customers.
1: Sure, I think first you need to have a very clear why, your purpose. Why is it that you want to achieve? Um, You have to have some sort of a model. Uh, so there's a time when you, you want to disrupt what you're doing. So what is it that we want to change in order to get there? Then there's a time for scaling. So what kind of, and then getting the right people with the right skills to do that. Um, and you said, okay, if this is the future and this is where I am and this is the gap, how do I test my concept? Then how do I bring it into something that my whole company has to digest? and change management and project management go together, though they're not the same. Um, I think if you have the right approach to change management that can lead you through this journey of disruption, scaling, and then execution, which is the last part, but it's also crucial. Uh, most companies jump from disruption to execution. They just test something, they like it, or everybody does it. Boom. Oh, just add a consultant in change management, add a project manager uh, or hire, you know, consulting companies that charge quite a bill to get this done. Um, I think you need to have, as a company, the the, the right profile, working in the right stages, understanding that if you want to reskill a whole company, it takes time, but it doesn't have to take forever because changes happen quite fast. So you will need to stretch, you will need to accelerate some things, but you have to have the right people behind each one of those stages. So you don't jump, you you need to make this faster each stage, but do not jump from one to the other, because then you, you get iteration. You disrupt, you execute. Oh, it's not as good. So you go back into disrupting, then you execute again. And then what you lose is a lot of time and you create a lot of frustration in people. Because once people see that, it's like, am I going to jump on this boat again? You know, we're changing what we just changed last year. Where's the the value? You know, they promised me a lot of things and now I'm just working more. And now I have to change it again. Um, I think with technology, it's very important also not just copy what's out there. Um, Really need to understand what the value for your customers. Um, what's the value for those people in the front line? Uh, Is it really that this this self-associate feels now safer or more uh, skilled to address their customers or they just feel they're wasting time? Uh, And if they feel they're wasting time, are they the right fit for this new process that you have? Assuming it is the right one, uh, and then you get into the development conversation. Can it be developed? Is it open to change? Where in the denial uh, journey is this person in? And maybe the answer is it's one or the other. The process is wrong or the people that I have is wrong. But you have to go through this carefully at the beginning so you don't go into this iteration of changing and changing and changing.
2: It's funny how slowing down can speed things up. <laughs> I think that's yeah. great advice. Um Spencer, we've probably got time for another uh, couple questions here. Why don't you finish us off?
0: So Federico, there's this trend, whether real or perceived, I'll let you speak to that, of quiet hiring, which is instead of companies filling vacancies, they're giving more work to existing employees in new areas uh, without... Additional compensation. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'd like to get your thoughts on that. And maybe against the backdrop of what we've been talking about with the generative AI and new, just to use your word, you know, power tools, where all organizations, I think, in this environment are asking their people to do more with less and looking to technology with how to supplement or to complement that. Um, and so speaking to this notion of quiet hiring, but also from the perspective of um, whether Group M or any of the organizations that you've led before have some type of mentoring program for those who are coming Up through the ranks for those that in this new environment may be feeling overwhelmed or are are being asked to do more. um, If there's a a program that you have at Group M where it's pairing uh, junior individuals with more senior individuals, going back to, hey, how do we make work more authentic? How do we become more compassionate, empathetic? Um, Can
1: you speak to that? Sure, sure. And mentoring, I've I've had it in the past. I think is a very powerful tool when used right. When you can commit to a program, which I think is the the hardest challenge on mentoring is to get people to commit the the mentors, uh, because it's very easy to say, "Oh, I'm a mentor." Then you start a conversation, and then you start saying, "I don't have time. I cancel the meetings. Uh, I do one mentoring, and then three months after, yeah, that's it. I don't want to do it anymore. I've done it." Um, so getting companies that can commit to a serious program, and usually mentors have to be senior people, right? Either a specialist in their practice or in leadership, depending on what you need to mentor. But these people have a lot of time constraints and they have a lot of priorities. So getting people to commit to solid, meaningful mentoring programs is, is not easy. Can it be done? Yes. But you need to have the right leadership People with the right mentality they, they understand that that you know when they decide to cancel a meeting they they're basically saying, "I have something that is more important than this." and so you have to have people that can prioritize in the right way if you want to hold those things. Um, that said, as I think this quiet hiring can be the result of of many different things, and the way you communicate and, and how honest you are to your people. I think there's nothing more frustrating than being told that this is for you. This is going to be great for you when it's not. uh, And you don't get any value. And unfortunately, sometimes this is just a manager not dedicating the right time. Number one, to explain that even this is, the decision was not for your own benefit specifically, but it does bring benefits. That's one thing in the worst case scenario. In the best case scenario, you have career navigation, you have career planning, you have talent assessments, and and you, you can tell this person a story, not just, oh, here's your new job. And by the way, you have more responsibilities. You can explain this to say, look, these are the options. You mentioned in our conversation that this is what you wanna do or what you wanna try. Now, obviously there's a give and take. So putting you in this role, carries risk because you haven't done it, you haven't proved yourself in it. So there is a risk. So the way in between is you do this while you do this other thing. But we I'm gonna work with you to make sure that what we're saying today happens tomorrow. So the learning, the transferring, and giving you feedback of how this is happening. Um, in the in the ideal world, the world of the employee, everybody gets a new headcount. If I want to do this, I get replaced uh, and, and then headcount multiplies endlessly. That doesn't work. That's not, that's not reality. But some people expect that when you talk about you know, stretching in, into new areas. It's just not real. So we need to tell, first we need to tell them, honestly, I need you to do this because right now our team is stretched and this is the reason why you're going to do it. Number one. Number two. This is what you can get out of this so the what's in it for me question right so I am not giving you additional money if I cannot let's just assume that's out of the out of the equation um, okay so what I'm what, what, what am I getting out of this and I need to be able to connect that I think it's it's a, it's a skill in leadership how do you sell something that is authentic and you the difference between influencing and manipulating? Right, So manipulating someone into do more for less or for the same uh, is a short story. People figure it out. They said this is not uh, where's the value So influencing is you really going through the value equation of whatever this person has to do now is okay so if if I'm in this person's shoes, what is the value that I'm getting in my experience, in my resume, in my company in my career progression, in my purpose. There are many areas of value. You just need to fight the right one for that person, but that takes time and it takes caring. You need to care about an individual, not just your own, you know, checkbox list. Caring for that individual, I
0: think, is so key. Federico, you help oversee a large global... Organization, you have specific responsibility, as we understand it, for Latin America. When it comes to uh, talent development, um, one could argue that with a multicultural workforce, we have to tailor our programming. Uh, our frameworks to culture A and do it slightly different for culture B and, and culture C. I'd I'd love to get your thoughts on whether that is true or whether there are like fundamental themes that kind of unify all of us, irrespective of where we live and the culture that we bring with us.
1: Sure, and. It- I think it's it's something that companies have to figure out based on their own structure because they're obviously if you're a a small uh, entrepreneurial company that has fifty people uh, is one thing uh, when you're in a global company in our case we are part of, of WPP which is a huge company then Group M is another huge company then you have the agencies uh, with their own piece of culture too and people that are in Group M functions within Group M so. There's, and then, then there's the countries. Right? So there are many layers of culture, if you will. So You need to be very careful when you talk about culture uh, because uh, there are huge differences. And how do you find those commonalities and uh, in, in, in which areas? For example, one thing that we were discussing last week in our strategic meeting in the people function was, okay, so if we want to strive for leadership development, Uh, and we want this to be uh, one of our main skills, we need to leverage on career mobility and the fact that we are a huge company and no other company in the world can give you more opportunities in terms of career mobility than us. So if you understand that, that this is a huge area of opportunity that you already have, but you can be like super good at it, what elements need to be transferable? So if you're in a wave maker agency and then you want to move to Mediacom, there has to be a core that would allow you to move. If you're in Mexico and you want to work in the UK, there has to be a core that you can take with you and it's not going to be a complete disruption either to the people there or to you as a professional. So there has to be some sort of a core that unites us all. Obviously, the bigger you want that core to be, the tighter your culture will become. so you will be you will be leaving very little space for differentiation, and that's not a good thing today i don't th- I think it was the case many years ago, decades ago, not today. So today, you need to make sure that you really target that core very specifically so you allow space for all these other layers and then If there's a second layer, how do you make sure that connects to your core? It doesn't have to be the same. There has to be just a connection and people need to understand that connection. So you communicate it properly. And so I think the more complex your your organization becomes, uh, the harder it is for people to feel I belong. Whatever I am, uh, any country, any agency, uh, in any layer of this company, I belong here. And, and I think the key element of that today is the fact that you need people, you need to find the right people that feel they belong in a culture where everyone is different. If you've right. hired people that wants to feel everyone is like me and therefore I belong and connect, that is not the right, the right people. We need to have this kind of mentality in the way we recruit. Great
0: perspective and and insights, Jess. I'm going to turn it back to you because I think we're we may be at time. I can't believe that.
2: Yeah, yeah. Let's let's wrap it up here, uh, Frederico. This has been such a fun conversation. I, I think it's uh, at least interesting for me to to be able to hear like how you're thinking about this through the lens of and having to do it for thousands of people all at once. Uh, I appreciate Thank it. You. Th- this has been great. it's the Thank fun you of goodness.
1: it. It's, it's complex as hell, but it's the fun of it. that's great bye
2: bye everyone